Welcome to the Book Corner. In this podcast, we'll be looking at everything about reading and literature, exploring loads of different authors, genres, cultures, and possibly even languages. and welcome back to another episode of the book corner um apologies for this episode coming out a bit late we've just been a bit caught up but anyway um we're back for another episode of the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime um and last episode was quite short but we um we learned a bit more about christopher and his attitude towards his mother dying and what he thinks of it and he says right at the end, um, when people ask me, or oh, what would you say to your mother if she was still here? My answer is always, well, how can you talk to dead people um, or people who aren't dead? Very logical, you know, very logical concept. Very, I mean, it's almost like, you know, obviously it's like if your mother was still here or if you could talk to your mother and she's in the spirit world, what would you say? Well, I wouldn't say anything because you can't talk to dead people. It's just very literal and logical. And I guess just another link to his... um thinking process so this podcast is hosted by me will and me mel so in today's episode we learn that christopher's mum isn't actually dead and i'm not going to say anything else that happens um so let's get into it oh christopher's mum isn't actually dead so we're gonna start with chapter 127 hang on a sec there we go um so he gets home from school and father's still at work so he's, un- he's going to unlock the door and goes inside and takes his coat off. Um, and then he talks about his book and um, he makes himself a raspberry milkshakes and heated it up in the microwave and then went through to the living room to watch one of my Blue Planet videos about life in the deepest parts of the ocean. He's very, um, again, literal. Um, I wrote something in the margins, but I can't read it. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> That yeah, I can see a W. Anyway, um, he's just again very literal, very precise, almost a bit like a set of instructions in a way. Um, get home, make a milkshake, watch Blue Planet, um, and very precise, I guess. Um, and then he talks about organisms, um, ecosystems, and something. And then he says he likes this because it shows you that there is always something new that science can discover. And all the facts that you take for granted can be completely wrong. I really like this theory. Um, you know, so many people have so many opinions and this is this and this is this. Um, but he's just downright, you know, we've seen stuff that exists and there's stuff that may not exist anymore. But it's not, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's that science scientists haven't discovered it yet. So I think he's really sort of fair um, to people with opinions. Um, so, you know, say ghost um it's not been proven and it hasn't not been proven and it has not been proven yeah um it's just that scientists haven't proved it yet so i think that was just quite quite a nice thought process um and then father came home came home about 5:48 for God, i can't speak today father came home at 5:48 p.m. there we go um so again i sort of quite precise um from that uh, he was carrying an old advert for Fussell's milk powder, which was made of metal and painted with blue and white enamel and covered with little circles of rust, which were like bullet holes. 
but he didn't explain why he was carrying this. He's very precise, you know. He's very observant at what his father's got. And, um, yeah, I guess I think this is just after... Um, or, like, he's still sort of processing that his mum uh, had an affair with Mr. Shears before she died. <laughs> Doesn't actually die. Um <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess he's just maybe being a bit wary of this. Um, and he says, howdy, partner, which is a joke he does. Um, you know, very, he's got his term for a joke. Um, yeah. And then he forgot that he left his book and he was too interested in Blue Planet. And this is what is called relaxing your guard and is what you must never do if you are a detective. If you are a detective. Um, he, again, he's got a term for everything, you know. Um, when I'm doing this, it's called relaxing guard and you must not do this. He's got a term and what to do if you're in the situation or if this definition comes up. Um, and then he says, um, his dad says, is this true? Did you talk to Mrs. Alexander? And he goes, yes. Holy Jesus, Christopher, how stupid are you? I thought you were going to say holy moly. <laughs> but yeah, well, I, I just missed it out because... Um, the word in the actual text is not a very nice word. And I won't, I'm not going to use that word anyway. Um, this is what Siobhan says. It's called a rhetorical question. It has a question mark at the end, but you are not meant to answer it. Again, it's um, definition um, for that term. Um, and it's. I think it also helps him think, you know, I've heard this. It means this. Okay, that's what I do. Um, so now I think he's just going to let his dad speak, which is what he does. What did I tell you, Christopher? This was much louder, and I replied, not to mention Mr. Shears' name in our house, and not to go asking Mr. Shears or anyone about who killed that bloody dog. Um, it's funny how he uses his father's, well, not funny, but, um, you know, how he uses his father's exact words. Not the dog, but the bloody dog, you know. He uses the phrase that his father used, because that's the instructions. The instructions that were spoken to him is what he's going to take in and use those exact words and that exact phrase um, as his instructions. Uh, and then his father gets really angry, uh, and he gets quite scared, Christopher. Um, and then his dad said, come on, you're the memory man. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, you know, a bit of banter about Christopher, and yeah, so that was funny. Um, and then he says, what am I going to do with you, Christopher? That's quite, um, quite hard-hitting. What am I going to do with you, Christopher? quite sad as well but um yeah and then he grabbed hold of his arm really hard mother had hit me sometimes because she was a very hot tempered person which means that she got angry more quickly than other people another term and for and the definition for that term um and then he hit him christopher hit his dad because he, if someone is too close to him or makes them feel uncomfortable, he will hit them. That's he wants to get out of that situation no matter what. Um, and he hit him again, and then I didn't know what I was doing anymore. I had no memories for a short while. I know it was a short while because I checked my watch afterwards. It was like someone had switched me off and then switched me on again. So, what's just happened is his father's hit him really hard and he's fallen unconscious, and now he's just woken up. That's yeah. This story is really getting quite intense now. We're learning a lot more about the characters and their relationships, and yeah, I think that's quite a hard hitting moment to, to actually imagine the father, you know, knocking his son unconscious. That's that's quite yeah. 
Um, and then he was sitting on the ca- <clears throat> sitting on the carpet with his back against the wall, and there was blood on my right hand, and the side of my head was hurting. So he's obviously been punched in the head by his dad. Um, yeah, I think he's quite shocked as well that his father would do that, because um, his father does love him, but that he'd actually go and punch him, just yeah. Um, and then he was holding Christopher's book, but it was bent in half, and all the corners were messed up. He's destroyed his book as well, and we know that the book is really something really um close to Christopher. Um, yeah, and it ends with "I need a drink," and he got himself a can of beer. That then leads on to chapter one hundred and thirty-one. Right, <laughs> I was just, <laughs> I was completely, I was just thinking that from what we've heard so far about his dad compared to that chapter, yeah, it's quite. I don't know. It's very dramatic, you know. It's a yeah. big change in character. Um, I don't know. I was just really thinking about yeah, that. It's something we wouldn't expect. No, it's it's definitely out of the blue and definitely unexpected. But you seem to have summarised that really well. So <laughs> thank you. <Yeah. laughs> My brother's getting in trouble. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> so chapter, uh, he's basically talking about. Reasons why he hates the colours yellow and brown. Um, And yellow, he gives six reasons. One, custard. I personally love custard. I don't know about you. (laughs) But I absolutely love love custard. custard. It's so good. Yeah. But it's warm, though. Cold custard is just weird. Yeah. (laughs) But, um bananas and then he says something that i don't really think of when i think of bananas he says bananas and bananas also turn brown so it's like both colors in one yeah i never really thought of that like i obviously know the bananas turn brown but it's not something you just accept it and move on you know yeah um double yellow lines um yellow fever yellow flowers and sweet corn um and I think that's quite interesting because he's like even not eating the foods that that are yellow. He doesn't like yellow flowers, which come from nature. Um, I don't know. I just, I didn't know about people with Asperger's syndrome. Um, Asperger's, Asperger's syndrome? I think that's what I think. I'm not sure. I don't know. And... Uh, yeah, I just didn't really know. Obviously, throughout this book, we learn a lot about um, that syndrome but and that specific type of autism. But I just found that really interesting. I think that's already been mentioned before in the book, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think this is kind of where we see what really he doesn't like. Yeah. And then he talks about brown. So that's number one is dirt. Two is gravy. I love gravy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, number three is poo. <laughs> Four <laughs> is wood. Um, and from this, I got that with everything, something bad can happen. So, like bananas, when they turn brown, they're manky. Yeah. Double yellow lines, you can't park. Um, yellow fever is an illness that kills. Yeah. Yellow flowers gives you hay fever. Um, the thing that I didn't understand corn, you was don't actually digest it. Yeah, I guess maybe custard doesn't taste nice when it's cold. <laughs> Maybe and also, um, I mean, like, dirt is dirty, but it also yeah. supplies life, 
for wildlife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I didn't really understand that one, but I'm sure he probably has his reasons, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Wood, um, and then he gives his reason, because people use it to make machines and vehicles out of wood, and they don't use it anymore because wood breaks and goes rotten and has worms in sometimes. And now people make machines and vehicles out of metal and plastic, which is much better and more modern. And this actually really interested me because he said plastic which um is much better so this book is set in the 80s i believe i think yeah yeah and it's probably especially this line kind of reflects the time period that it's written in because i don't think well there could have been plastic pollution but people weren't really aware of plastic pollution yeah um <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so um i think that kind of really does reflect in this line about the time period uh, and the time frame that it was written in um because it's just something that's i think in the past 10 years plastic pollution and uh environment issues have evolved oh my god now my baby got this screaming <laughs> <laughs> um and um i just i always thought obviously i knew that plastic pollution is kind of like a modern thing or modernly recognized now um but i kind of thought that people would have still been aware of it then (laughs) Um, yeah i don't know that that just i kind of had a realization moment um and then he talks about how he doesn't like this girl at school um because she has a surname and it's melissa brown And she wants to tore his project in half. Oh. And then he talks about how um, Miss Forbes, his teacher, uh, says that hating yellow and brown is silly. And then he, I think we kind of get that he has some kind of understanding that he is being a bit silly, but it's still something that matters to him. Um, And he hates it. So he's just going to carry on hating it. Um, And... I thought this is like I don't know why I wrote this down, but I just for some weird reason I did. But cheese? Does he not like cheese? <laughs> Probably not because it's yellow. Yeah, and, and like, like yellow pens, moldy. yellow pens, and like yeah, I don't know. You know anything you yellow mini eggs. You know yeah. mini eggs. Like yeah. they come. In they're brown on the packing. inside, and then yeah. So maybe he doesn't like, like okay. chocolate. Oh my god! Maybe not. Nutella, chocolate anyway. spread. Yeah. We're getting carried away. Which he likes eggs. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's a yellow yolk. Oh, probably not. <laughs> also, I've just Googled and apparently it's actually set in 1998. So well off oh. the 80s. <laughs> My bad. It's set in 1998. Okay, that's Not nice. the 80s. Well, yeah. I don't know if plastic pollution was in like, the early 2000s, yeah. but maybe. I think it was the very start of um, yeah. awareness. I think people started to understand that there are environmental issues. Yeah. Um, and then he really, towards the end of this chapter, he really does think things through um, and give kind of a valid explanation or kind of not necessarily valid. I mean, his opinion is obviously valid, but I think he gives an explanation in the way that we could understand it. Yeah. Um, as to why he doesn't like those colours or those things. Um, and then he finishes it off, and then it's simple, um, which I think is kind of 
everything he says, that one line kind of relates to everything because in his world, everything is straightforward and simple except for metaphors. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Very lovely little summary. Um, so chapter 137. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Sorry. Um, I think I'm going to call this chapter like the redemption of his dad. So his dad decides to take Christopher to the zoo to make up for what he did. Um, the first thing I got was he made me wash the cut on my cheek with Dettol and he got me to put a plaster on. I thought that was quite interesting that he got Christopher to do it. I don't know if, you know, he's just not caring or if he's just too ashamed to, like, face it, maybe. But I just thought it was interesting um, that he got Christopher to do it. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, and then they go to the zoo and he's going to take me on an expedition to show me that he was properly sorry. That is really nice, you know, to take him out for the day and spend quality time to make it up. I think that's a really nice thing for him to do. And then he uh, gives us a little description of his favourite animals, which is the Randy Man, the Patagonian Sea Lions, and Malaku the Orangutan. Um, And then they go to the cafe and... Uh, he gets some food and some sandwiches. Oh, and he makes sandwiches at home because he doesn't trust um food cooked or made at uh, places he doesn't know. Um, and he reads the guidebook, and Father says, "I love you very much, Christopher. Don't ever forget that." And I know I lose my rag occasionally. I know I get angry. I know I shout. I know I shouldn't, but I only do it because I worry about you because I don't want to see you getting into trouble because I don't want you to get hurt. Do you understand? I don't know whether I understood. So I said, I don't know. He doesn't know because I, I see what Christopher means. You know, his dad's cared for him his whole life. But then to go and knock him unconscious, that's like really serious and just just quite like, I don't know. I'm sure he does love him and I'm sure, you know, he will come around. But Christopher thinking logically about um, love and understanding, I you know, it, it's just quite hard for him to get around. If his dad's, like, made him unconscious, then how um, how can he love him? Just thinking logically. Um, and he says, loving someone is helping them when they get into trouble. So that's his definition for love. He even has a definition for love. I think love is the most powerful word that there is out there. And he even has a definition to that. Like, love is just really caring about someone, just really being there. But, yeah, anyway. Um... And then I think he loses the guidebook. Um, and so he makes um, a map of the uh, zoo with a napkin, I think. Um, and he makes it all from memory. But the map is very accurate. And there's a picture of the map in the book. And he's literally labelled everything. He's got the, all the correct paths. Everything is pretty much accurate to what I could imagine. The main map being like. Um, and I just thought it was very interesting, amazing, like how accurate the map is and how he, he has such a photographic memory. Um, and he also holds up his left hand and spreads his fingers out in a fan. And we made our fingers and thumbs touch each other. That's so sweet. It's like, you know, I guess the, th- the fingers touching each other is kind of like the reconnection of the father and the son and the same sort of saying sorry moment. You can imagine in the film, in a film or something where they just touch fingers you can imagine like some emotional music playing in the background and I don't know, smiling, I don't know. So, you know, one of those sort of moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they went home um, or they went home so they didn't, so they missed the traffic. 
Um, and that leads on to chapter 139. So, chapter 139. There are some really, really interesting parts that I kind of, I think I kind of overthought them, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> so, I like Sherlock Holmes, but I do not like Sir Arthur Cunyon Doyle, who is the author of Sherlock Holmes' stories. That is because he wasn't like Sherlock Holmes and he believed in the supernatural. So I think from even that first line, um, or couple of lines, he doesn't like the author because the author believed in something that was not logical, that yeah. science could not prove to be real. Um, and he says this was because his son died of influenza during the First World War and he still wanted to talk to him. And it's something that um christopher believes 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 is impossible um and i don't know if ghosts are real or spirits or whatever you want um but i do think that sometimes like the the you can i don't know it's really weird um i don't know i just think sometimes it is really strange like occasionally you might feel like somebody's actually watching you or is actually in your room or or whatever and that can be really scary um, yeah but the other night it was literally i don't know 4am maybe yeah and somebody was i don't know if it was literally my imagination or if there was actually somebody singing but there was somebody outside my window and it was going dee, dee, dee. <laughs> <laughs> my mum thinks i was hallucinating oh um but I actually think there was somebody singing in, like, our driveway. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that was, like, a ghost or if I was actually hallucinating or what. But that's just really weird. Um, and then he talks about this photograph. Um, and he says, I really like this line. These dancing figures are not made of paper nor any fabric. They are not painted on a photographic background. But what gets me the most is that all of these figures have moved, moved during the exposure. And your first thought would be, wow, that's like magic. Um, but it then says he was being stupid because paper would move during any exposure. And the exposure is very long because in the photograph, you can see a little waterfall in the background and it's blurred. So he kind of just doesn't believe in anything. Um, and he talks about that a bit later. And I was just thinking um, about his childhood, really, because as a child, you do tend to believe in magic you know you believe that the tooth fairy comes oh yeah. my god I'm so silly <laughs> anybody under the age of 8 should not be listening to this the tooth fairy exists guys we just <laughs> I don't know there are some people who may think that the tooth fairy doesn't exist I actually yeah one day I actually had the tooth fairy on a video um, and yeah, I think you lost the video by accident didn't you yeah, basically mm-hmm. I took the camera in the shower because that's how obsessed I was with the video. And yeah. I dropped it and it got water damage. So oh. I don't have the video anymore. Oh, how's, oh, what a shame. But the tooth fairy used to sprinkle fairy dust on my nose when she came. Oh. And leave me letters. Oh. So, yes. <laughs> um, And I just think about his childhood. Like, did he not believe in that? Um, did he not have any of that magic in his childhood because he only saw the truth and what was real? Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. That just kind of made me think. 
Um, and that's that's about it, really. Yeah. Um. Very good summary. Um. Chapter one hundred and forty-nine. Uh. So he goes back to school on Monday, and for and she sees Siobhan, obviously. And Siobhan asked if he was frightened about going home, and he said he wasn't. Obviously, she's seen um, the mark on his face. And it, what I noticed about this book is he divides his chapters up into what is happening in the present and a certain thought that he's had in his head. You know, he goes from his um, dad taking him to the zoo to this whole thing about fairies and now back to the present day going back to school. Um, just thought it was quite interesting how he's laid out his book and the chapters. Um, so yeah, she asks if he's frightened about going home, um, basically asking if there's any abuse going on at home, and obviously there was. But um, he loves his dad, and I'm sure his dad is probably his closest friend and person he can trust. Um, and then he wants to go back to his book because he likes writing it, and he likes having a project to do. And I liked it especially if it was a difficult project like a book. So he likes projects that are really difficult and that are challenging to him because he wants to work stuff out and how stuff works and how it's logical, um, which I think is a really good sort of um, ethos and, and mindset. Um, yeah. And he says his book is approximately 25 centimetres by 35 centimetres by one centimetres because he's looking for his book when he gets back home. Um, so he has a photographic image of it. He knows exactly the measurements. Um it's just quite interesting how he has such a photographic memory and a, you know, he has the exact um, image in his mind of what he's looking for. Almost a bit like a scanner, you know. Um, so, yeah, because his dad is out, so he's looking for the book. Um, and then he goes upstairs and didn't do any detecting um, because he reasoned that father wouldn't hide something from me in my room, in his room, unless he was being very clever and doing what is called a double bluff like in a real murder mystery novel. Um, he doesn't actually give the definition to the term, but still brings up the term. He's almost sort of trying to live his life a bit like a murder mystery and like he's a real detective. I think he's quite quite cool. Um, he's treating everything as, as if he's a detective. But, um, yeah. And then he looks in the drawers, either side of the dresser, um he's found a spare false tooth in case father lost the false tooth he had to fill the gap where he knocked a tooth out when he fell off the ladder putting a bird box up in the garden <laughs> just give a very accurate description of what happened um knocked out a tooth when trying to put a bird box up <laughs> um and then he saw there was another box under the toolbox so i lifted that box out of the cupboard um and then he opened the short box he saw his book was inside it so he's found his book and he didn't know what to do. And he was happy because father hadn't thrown the book away, which means he still cared about it. But if he took the book, he would know, father would know that he'd been messing with his things in his room and, he, and he'd be very angry and he had promised not to mess with things in the room. Oh, Christopher. That's so sweet. I mean, if it was me, I'd just take the book. I, don't, I mean, I wouldn't expect him to just notice. To notice. Um, but, you know, he's, yeah, I think, after getting that um, that punch in the face, he's realised, you know, he is going to start playing by his father's rules and he's going to start doing what his father says, which is to um, do what he says. And um, I'm, it's, I guess it's, it's just quite, it's quite good of him. But yeah. And then he discovers lots and lots of envelopes. 
And it was an envelope addressed to him and lying under the book in the shirt box of some other envelopes. He picks it up. Christopher Boone, 36 Randall Street, Swindon, Wiltshire. Then he noticed that there were lots of other envelopes and they were all addressed to him. And it was interesting and confusing. And then he sees the handwriting on the front. And then he notices that there are only three people who do circles in their eyes. You know, when writing an eye and you put the dot at the top of the um, line. There are only three people that he knows that instead of doing the dot, they do circles. One of them is Mr. Loxley, who used to teach at school. One of them is Siobhan. And one of them is his mother. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, but then he hears father opening the door. So he took one envelope and um, quickly hid it behind his back. Um, and he sort of he tries to make his way to his room without um, uh, basically revealing to his father that he has one of these envelopes. Um, it's getting very interesting. At this book, I was like, oh, I just wanted to read on and find out what happened. I was like gripped. Um, and then uh, they talk about dinner and what he's going to have for dinner and it's quite a long time until we actually get to the envelopes really putting you on a sort of cliffhanger um, and also I noticed the conversation is very happy you know, oh, what do you want for chow tonight oh no problem kiddo oh, good man, you know it's very very good I think they're, they're so- he's, he's sorry he's forgiven him and everything's good now between them so he goes up to his room and he shuts the door and takes out the envelope and he detects the envelope and the paper in the envelope and he wonders whether the env- he wondered whether he could open the envelope because it was something I'd taken from father's room. So again, he's going to play by father's rules. But this time he's more intrigued by- about the envelope than the... Um... Consequences. Yeah, the- by the consequences and also by... Uh, more uh intrigued than the book um so it means he really wants to do it and maybe he knows something maybe he's suspecting something especially when he said mother um and then he opens it so it's addressed from 451 chapter road williston london london dear christopher i'm sorry it's been such a very long time since i wrote my last letter to you I've been very busy. I've got a new job working as a secretary for a factory that makes things out of steel. You'd like it a lot. And it basically talks to him about life and and what's going on. And yeah, she's moved into a new flat. Um, You haven't written to me yet. I know that you're probably still angry with me. I'm sorry, Christopher, but I still love you. Um, And then this letter mentions Roger, a man. So that suggests that it's probably from a woman's perspective. Um, and then it gets to the end and it says, lots of love, your mum. Kiss, 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 kiss. It's from his mother. And she never went to London. Yeah, he says. He's really confused because mother had never worked as a secretary. She'd worked for a, st- for a firm. She'd worked as a secretary for a garage, but never for a firm. She never lived in London. She'd always lived with us. And she'd never written a letter to him before. So, I mean, it's quite shocking. If you look at it, um, there was no date on the letter, so he couldn't work out when he'd written, when she'd written it. Um, but then he saw the postmark, and there was a date on the postmark. And it said 16th of the 10th, 1997. So 16th of October, 1997. And this is set in 1998, isn't it? So this was only yeah. a year before... And she died, what, three years ago, I think? So, what, died, you know? Um, 
and it was 18 months, <laughs> yeah, 18 months after mother. <laughs> um, 18 months after mother had died, she's still alive. It was a mystery, and he couldn't work it out. But why was she writing from London? She, she, he, he. I don't think he's picked up yet that she's still alive because what was logically told him and what makes logic sense is that she died. So he it just doesn't make. It's. I think it's going to take a long time to sink in. Um, he folded the letter, hid it under his mattress in case father found it and got cross. And he went downstairs and watched the television. Chapter one hundred and fifty-one. <laughs> the suspense. The suspense. So. He is in this chapter, he's literally talking about ghosts. Um, and this kind of contradicts what I was talking about before because he's giving examples and stories of ghost stories that he may have been told or um, stories that have been passed on to him um, to other people. Um, yeah. And I just found that so interesting because he just. He kind of is literally contradicting whatever he heard before and I kind of wonder if that has anything to do with the letters um, that he may think mother's a ghost um, yeah so I don't know but then this line on page 126 in the paper copy I did realise the other day that there is a hard copy so um, page 126 in the paper copy it says so we can learn how to treat animals with kindness and respect because some of the children at school are horrible to animals and they think it's funny to crush worms or throw stones at cats. And I think that's really horrible that children do that. Um, I'm not sure if people, like, I mean, I'm sure people do that now, like they abuse the animals, which is so sad. Yeah. Um, but I think you are taught now not to abuse animals. Yeah. Um, because they do have, like, their own feelings, etc., um so i just think that he does have an understanding you know he does understand um in some way even in his own world that it it's not okay to treat animals um like that um and I, I don't know i just think that's really sweet that he he thought of that <laughs> um, yeah. and then he's talking about some graphs about number of frogs um, and then the animal population, and if it's gone down or up. Um, and then uh, it said, but they're only really obeying simple rules. And it means that sometimes a whole population of frogs or worms or people can die for no reason whatsoever, just because that's the way the numbers work. And I think this bit that says, or people can die for no reason whatever, whatsoever, sorry, whatsoever, um, I think that's, in a way, he's trying to think of a logical explanation as to why his dad has said his mother has died, yet um, he's found these letters. Um, and I think he's he's trying, in a way, to get his head around it yeah. um, and to think of a reason why that could be happening um, because he just doesn't understand. Yeah. Um, and that's that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just trying to look at it logically, but what he's learned is, you know, he's been told all his life his mother's died. So, like, how how is this true? Um, and it was six days before he could go back into father's room to look in the shirt box and the cupboard. I think he's just so shocked at what he's found out. He almost doesn't want to go back to it, but wants to at the same time. But just can't. It's yeah. It's just. I mean, his whole life has been a lie, pretty much. 
um, about what happened to his mum. And his father's been hiding this. You know, they've just made up and they're all on good terms. And now his father, he's found out this, that his father's been hiding this all his life. Um, and then he starts talking about a boy called Joseph Fleming who eats everything. Um, and he says <laughs> he eats blue disinfectant. He eats 50 pound notes. He eats string and rubber bands and tissues, writing paper, paints, plastic forks. He also bangs his chin and screams a lot. What I like about this is that He's describing Joseph, but he's describing him as any other person. He's not saying, oh, yeah, Joseph Fleming's weird. Joseph Fleming eats everything. He's really weird. He's really disgusting. He just says Joseph Fleming eats this, that, and that's who he is. He just looks at people and they're them. No one's no one's normal in his work, in his vision, which I think is a really good way of seeing the world. Um, and then, uh, oh, yeah, he wouldn't go, yeah, um, he wouldn't go to the toilets because... Um, Joseph had pooed out a plastic um, toy and it was all <laughs> over the floor in the toilets. So he didn't want to go in the toilets. <laughs> and... I think that's kind of a bit understandable. Yeah, um... and it's also brown. But yeah, also... Oh, don't know what happened there. Um, but yeah, understandable. And fifth day, which was Sunday, it rained very hard. And he likes it when it rains because it sounds like white noise everywhere. Which is like silence, but not empty. I really like that metaphor. Actually, no, it's a simile, isn't it? Um, it sounds like white noise everywhere, which is silence, but not empty. The whole world is silent, but the rain is making noise. I think it's a really nice line. Um, it was falling so hard that it looked like white sparks. And this is a simile too, not a metaphor. He's starting to use some similes and, and you know language devices that you'd see in your average novel or book, which maybe shows his sort of growth um, since writing this book and how he's changed, because I think we're just over halfway or at halfway. Yeah, we are, actually. Um, so just see, seeing his growth so far. Um, and then he counted the letters. There were 43 of them. <laughs> so his mum, all this time, has written 40, 43. And he didn't even know the fact that she kept on writing them and he hasn't known about them. My God. Just, yeah. I, the thing that I don't understand, and I'm sure we're going to find out, is why yeah. she didn't come down and visit him. Yeah, we. I think we do find that out later. But yeah, I guess even. Yeah, just. I, yeah, I think she was banned from visiting him because of something that happens, and we'll learn a bit about that either in this episode or the next episode. Um, yeah. So we oh third of May. Okay, so I think this is either later. I don't know. It depends what year it is, but yeah. Dear Christopher, we have a new fridge and cooker at last. Roger and I is the first thing I picked up on, so she's obviously with a new man and we last heard that she had an affair with Mr. Shears. So is Roger Mr. Shears possibly? Another mystery. Um, And she just basically talks about life and what's going on. She says she looked through some old photos, which made um, her sad and she found a photo of him playing with the train set that she bought you for a couple of Christmases ago oh, it's, it's quite it's quite sad this letter it's yeah it's just looking back on Christopher and the life she had with him and the life that's been taken away the thing I love about these letters is she still loves him you know she and she loved him and she still loves him now regardless of who he is she's his mum and although she she can't live with him, she's still writing these letters to him and talking to him through paper, you know. Um, although his father's banned all the letters from him, but yeah. Um, 
And yeah, I also noticed she had a few spelling mistakes of simple words like wooden. Um, and maybe it just shows how maybe she was quite uneducated or she's poorer, possibly. Um, yeah, and I just, just yeah, thought that was quite interesting. Oh, yeah, so now we've got a new uh, letter and it's a new address. Flat one, 312 Lausanne Road. So not, um, what was it last time? Uh, Chapter Road. It's now new flat. So my guess is that they're renting and they have to move every so often. Um, now, in this letter, she says, I said that I wanted to explain to you why I went away when I had the time to do it properly. I was not a very good mother, Christopher. Maybe if things had been different, and also a spelling mistake there, but different. Maybe if you'd been different, I might have been better at it. But that's just the way things turned out. The way she says you've been different, maybe if you'd been different, I think really hits me. And it's quite sad. Um, it's a blaming. She's She doesn't yeah. want to take responsibility, I don't think, yes. for what she's done. Yes, she's blaming it on him. And yeah, I think she just can't blame it on herself. She can't. For, I think for, uh, what she's done is so bad, she just can't accept that it, she's done it and it's her fault. Um, yeah, your father is a much more patient person than me. And obviously you have to be, she probably had to be quite patient with him um, growing up and teaching him how, you know, just how to live. Um, and Mr. Lamb was really nice about it. There were boxes. Of, oh, yeah. So... Once she takes Christopher to some, a shopping place and he manages to smash this really expensive bowl off the display. Everyone was staring and I saw that you'd wet yourself and I was so cross and I wanted to take you out of the shop. But you wouldn't let me touch you and you just lay on the floor and screamed and banged your hands and feet on the floor. And the manager came and asked me what the problem was. And I was at the end of my tether and I had to pay for two broken mixers. And we, had, and we just had to wait until you stopped screaming. She just can't deal with this. She's not the sort of person who can deal with the son or her son who who's like this in a way uh, she, she, it's just too much for her she probably imagined you know settling down for her husband and having a little i don't know child that <laughs> is all perfect and everything will be fine raise him it will be raise them it will be fine but um she's got she's probably tried really hard her whole you know the whole what um 12 years that um she's been mother to him um and she just can't do it anymore. She she just can't do it. Uh, and I remember that night, I just cried and cried and cried. And your father was really nice about it at first. But she hit him, which was wrong. Um, and they had lots of arguments. And the arguments carried on. And he was patient, but she wasn't. She got cross, even though she didn't mean to. And then they stopped talking to each other for a very long time. Because they knew it would always end up in an argument and it would go nowhere. So they stopped talking to each other because they knew it would end up in an, arg- in an argument. That's wow! Imagine that with your 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 other half. Just um, yeah, thought that was quite hitting. Um, and she felt really lonely. And then she started seeing Roger, Roger and Eileen. So we she mentions Eileen. I'm guessing that's Mrs. Shears. Um, and that also picks up on Christopher. Instead of calling people by their actual names, he calls them, he gives them titles, Mrs. Alexander, Mr. and Mrs. Shears, father, mother, not mum or dad, or, you know, Betty, whatever her name is, or Roger and Eileen. But, you know, they're titles. Um, And she started seeing Roger because he was someone that she could talk to. 
And Roger told her that he and Eileen weren't in love with one another anymore. They hadn't been in love with one another for a long time. Um, and then they realised that they were in love with one another. And that leads on to page 136. I was wondering if you wanted to take over. Oh, okay. <laughs> is that is that all right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, wait, which page are we doing? Uh, 136. Um, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Okay, so this is um, I I oh. I'm just kind of in shock still yeah. um, because his mother has returned and I that from reading the book, it kind of shocked me completely. I was not expecting it. Um, but then I guess it's a really clever um, way to twist the book. It's yeah. kind of like the climactic part of the book um, because it's kind of built up to this moment and then the rest of the book hopefully will be a resolution of some kind. Um, and I think because the way that um, Mark Haddon has written it is that the mother's dead, so we don't need to assume that she's going to come back. Um, but, okay, so on page th- uh, 137, um, the opening line, then Roger said that he'd asked for a bank transfer This means that he asked them if I could have a job in London and he was leaving. He asked me if I wanted to come with him. I thought about it for a long time, Christopher. I Honestly, I did. It broke my heart, but eventually I decided it would be better for all of us if I went. So I said yes. And I think it's that kind of... Still... She's not really... I mean, she's apologising, but it's kind of... Like, she doesn't really mean it, um, which I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, it's kind of like she, oh, I don't know. She's oh, like, hey, Google. <laughs> Dot, sorry. She's um, she's saying, so I said yes. So it's, she doesn't sound like she's feeling any remorse or regretting what she's done. Um I meant to say goodbye. I was going to come back and pick up some clothes and you were back from school. But she didn't come back. She just left. And I don't think... It's kind of like... It's not, I'm really sorry I didn't say goodbye. It's, I meant to say goodbye, but I didn't. That kind of thing. Um, and then... Um, she said, but when I rang your father, he said I couldn't come back. He was really angry. He said I couldn't talk to you. I didn't know what to do. He said that I was being selfish and I never set foot inside the house again. So I haven't. But I've written you these letters instead. Christopher, I've never meant to hurt you. I thought that that, what I was doing was best for all of us. I hope it is. And it's, oh, I hope it, who says that? (laughs) Um, I hope it is. Yeah. I just, oh. That's, she kind of has been okay so far until now it's like yeah um your apology's great but you don't sound very sorry yeah um and i just think it's a bit sad in a way yeah because he has lived his whole life up until now no 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 not his whole life the past what three years 
yeah um believing that his mum is dead and that's really sad um he then reads that please christopher write to me sometime or ring me on the telephone the numbers at the top of the letter love and kisses your mother and it's just she said dear and then in the next letter she said dear christopher well i said i'd write you every week and i have in fact this is the second letter this week and i'm doing even better than i said and it's like she's going to continue putting in her best effort um, to to get, get in contact with him again. And I don't, I just, I can't believe that she's saying sorry, but then she just doesn't sound very sorry. Because yeah. it's, it's a bit confusing. And if I was in Christopher's shoes, I would be really confused. Um, and then he does say, uh, then I stopped reading the letter because I felt sick. And I think he's kind of having that realisation moment. That realisation that is there. Um, and that his mother is alive. She's not dead. Because, yeah, then he goes on and he says, mother had not had a heart attack. Mother had not died. Mother had been alive all the time. And father had lied about this. And after bonding with his dad again, after forgiving his dad and kind of starting afresh with his dad and getting along with him again, I think he is really shocked, um, surprised with his dad. Let down. Probably, yeah, let down and upset. Um, He said he felt giddy. The room was swimming, swimming, swinging from side to side, and it felt like I was at the top of a really tall building. The building was swinging backwards and forwards in a strong wind. This is a simile too. That's like the Eiffel Tower. I didn't actually know this um, until I was at the top of the Eiffel Tower, but it actually moves. Um, really? Yeah, it does. <laughs> but only like a tiny bit. Like it won't fall over. Oh. Um, he says his stomach hurt. And I think I'm pretty sure... Um, getting tummy aches is like a sign of anxiety. Yeah. Um. So I think he's starting to really panic and worry. Um. And I think it's because it doesn't make logical sense to him at all. Um. I don't know what happened then because there's a gap in my memory, like a bit of tape had been erased, and I'm wondering here if he'd blacked out again. Yeah. Um. And he'd been sick because they were sick on the bed. And I just think that's really traumatic for a 15-year-old. He's 15, isn't he? Yeah. For a 15-year-old to believe that his mum was dead and she's not. Um, and then his dad comes home. Um, and I think that's really... I don't know. I think that his dad should have told him and keep it, or not even told him, just given him the letters. Um, and he said, hello, Christopher. No, 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 he didn't even say hello. He said, Christopher, what the hell are you doing? And I could tell that he was in the room. I thought he said hello for a minute. <laughs> um, but his voice sounded tiny and far away, like the people's voices. I'm groaning. And I don't want them to be near me. 
and he then starts stressing out the dad does and panicking because he's realized that there are letters um and i just think that he should have told christopher I really think he should have told Christopher. But then he says, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Christopher. I'm so sorry. So, 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 I'm so sorry. He doesn't really... I don't think he actually means that he's sorry, if I'm being quite honest. Um, because he got angry in the beginning. He was like, uh, where are you? What the hell are you doing? Um, and then he's like, I'm so sorry, Christopher. I should have told you. But really, he... Um, if he was sorry, um, he should have. I don't know. With some things, it's like, yes, you've made a mistake, move on. Like, say you're sorry, move on, forgive, forget. But then with other things, it's like you've done it for a long time. It's been three years and you continuously hid the letters, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a decision that's ongoing um, and he could have reversed it at any point, but he chose not to. Um. And he was crying. So, I don't know. He said, I did it for your good. And he's saying exactly the same thing that his mum was saying. Yeah. And I don't... I, this this uh, chapter of the book and a couple of chapters before, I think it's a real twist to the story. Um, and then he said, it was an accident. I didn't know what to say. I was in such a mess. She left a note and then she rang. I said she was in hospital because I didn't know how to explain. It was complicated. So difficult. And I think he's just trying to come up with excuses for the mistakes that he's made. And he doesn't want Christopher to be angry with him again. Um, And he doesn't want Christopher to think that it's his fault. So I think that both parents want Chris but they both have opposite stories yeah um and I think his dad is sorry in a way but then I feel like he I don't know I'm really I don't really feel much empathy for him He's, it's like an ongoing thing, you know. He yeah. got the first letter, fine. If he decided to hide that, fine. The second letter, third letter, whatever. Then after like the tenth letter or something, then I think it's like, well, you don't really. If you're saying you're sorry now, or well, then what about all the like back then, or even the last letter, the most recent letter? He could have gone and given that to Christopher because Christopher's fifteen. He he may be old enough to handle it, you know. Um, but he just doesn't think like that i'm talking about the dad by the way the dad didn't think like that he didn't think a bit like um the mother didn't think about the consequences of leaving without saying goodbye he didn't think of the consequences of lying to christopher um and i think that's kind of just hit him and both parents actually i think they've both had a realization the mum probably a bit further on a bit earlier because she started writing the letters, but they've both had a realization of what they've done and what they would have put their son through. Um, yeah, that's it, really. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that is the end of the episode. And what an episode! Um, 
his mother is still alive and living in London with Mr. Shears. Or who we think is Mr. Shears. Yeah. Wow. Um, quite, quite an episode. Um, well, thank you all for listening. And I think a little hint to our next episode as I've read ahead, obviously. Um, we're going to hear about his father's side of the story, about what happened. And how he possibly went off with Mrs. Shears. Um, yeah. Anyway, thank you all for listening. And yeah, our Instagram is at thebook.corner underscore. Also linked is our suggestions and questions form for any suggestions about the podcast. Our contact email, thebookcorner7 at gmail.com. Um, the Autism Podcast, to learn a bit more about Autism, also autism.org.uk, the UK's national uh, autism website, and um, to help you learn a bit more about um, Autism. Uh, I think I've covered everything. Can't yes. think of anything else. Yeah. Um, thank you, everyone. And we will see you in our next episode. Thank you. Thank you.